0: One day and night must for Hello everyone you know and welcome to Let's Talk Torah. I am Rabbi Sweet Jacobson with NRM Streamcast, and we'll spend our time talking Torah, learning stuff, and having fun while we learn. You can always send your questions and comments to our mailbag at letstalktorah@gmail.com. and of course I will answer as many as I can. So this week's Torah portion gives the I hate to use the word excuse, the perfect excuse to talk about educating our children. One of the earlier verses in the Torah really asks a question in this week's Torah, Boys, Torah Boys is uh, parish's bow. This is, we talked about last week, last week we had the seven plagues, the first seven plagues, this week is the last three plagues, and, and uh, God tells Moses, like, we don't really need all these plagues. But part of the reason for all these plagues is so you will tell your children what I did to Pharaoh in Egypt, what I did for the Jewish people in Egypt. So just those words, you will teach your children, you will tell your children, you will pass on what's called the Mesorah, the chain, the link. So because that's what the verse is talking about, that's what this week's Torah portion points out strongly that we need to educate our children. I thought this would be a great time to have one of our shows exclusively focusing on education, but not not the nitty-gritty of education, but sort of the the global, what are we looking for? What are we trying to accomplish? What's our focus? But not to get into how you do this and how you do that. That we, we do a lot of times. We throw stuff in. But here we want to talk about what, what are my goals with my children? What am I trying to accomplish? How am I trying to educate them? What am I trying to educate them? And this, again, is global, what we're looking to do. So interesting enough, the Baal Shem says that when you are teaching your children, again, I'm using teaching very loosely, a very loose term here, teaching, but when you're educating, teaching your children... The Tov says that we need to see our grandchildren in our children's faces. I'll say that again. The Tov says that we need to see our grandchildren in our children's faces. In other words, what I'm teaching my child today does that have the staying power, right? To to transfer to the next generation and to the generation afterwards what I'm looking to do in education and that's why it's it's like really important is again I'm a teacher right so when we're teaching children I'm standing there in front of the class I, I do remind myself often the child will remember what this word means he will remember what I taught him over here he'll understand this subject or whatever is is happening He's going to really remember the answer I gave him to his question in 20 years from now. Some children will. I have a boy who comes over to me yearly and says, remember, I asked you that question, or I asked the question, and the boy said, I gave you an answer, and you gave me a soda, and he remembers the question and the answer, and he goes back to every year, and I don't remember the question and the answer, right? But there are things that I'm trying to give over throughout the year that I want my children, I want my students to, it should become part of them that they're going to give it over to their children. And we hope that that generation will give it over to the following generation. That's what we're looking for. Whether it's the excitement about Torah, the excitement about a Jewish lifestyle, the excitement about being religious, the feeling good that I have the opportunity to serve God all that kind of stuff, without any nitty-gritty, if I can give over to my children that they should feel good whenever Shabbos, right? if my children are excited about the idea of keeping the Sabbath, what do you think that's going to mean for their children? If the parents are excited, the children will be excited. the children are excited, then the next generation will be excited. Not the nitty-gritty, I'm allowed to do this, I'm not allowed to do this. Uh, this is exactly, I gotta, I'm gotta. on one of these, um, it's like a large chat, I guess, where they send out a question to a bunch of teachers, and we write in answers, and then those answers are then distributed to parents, something like that. So that was actually the question. I didn't actually send in my answer yet. Probably by the time I send in my answer, they already answered stuff, and they don't think like me. You want to know, what do you do by your Sabbath table? The truth is, it's very loose. You want to go read on the couch, go read on the couch. You want to schmooze about something, we schmooze about something. You want to have a conversation. You want to sing. You want to tell me what happened in class. It's a very loose, open, calm, chilled environment. And then everybody's happy to be there. It's like... What we do makes an impression. We're looking to make that impression so that our children will have good feelings for what we did. Uh, another example. I happen to finish a lot of tractates. Uh, besides the, the daily that people do, it's called Afyomi, so every couple months uh, I'll make what's called a Siam, like a little party on a completion of a tractate. But I have about five tractates I do during the year. So you add it all together. So every month or so I could be making another, again, what we call a seum, like a party. My daughter tells me the other day, she says, "Um, yeah, I remember every two weeks that we would make a party at home, every two weeks, every two weeks actually would mean that I would be completing about twenty four tractates a year. That's not happening. I mean, it could happen, but it's not happening with me. But it doesn't matter. Because we did it so often and we didn't make a big deal, I didn't make a lavish party. It was the joke was we made a chocolate cake. Or I, I love peanut butter balls or some other treat, something that we made an impression. That's the goal to make this impression. So let me give you a few stories, give you some feeling of of what I'm talking about. So the story is told with Ushleima Hyman. Oshleima Hyman was a was a teacher, was a rabbi, really the head rabbi, the reshiva, of a school called Tere in Flatbush. This story goes way, way back, somewhere in the early 1900s. There was a snowstorm. So if his class, usually the room was packed with students, with older students, this is post-high school, eh, it's a snowy day, maybe four kids showed up. Now, whenever he gave a lecture, he yelled and screamed and he, he danced and, and the room shook. Like you're in this room with however many people, 40, 50, 60. I truthfully do not know the number of what his, uh, his lectures look like, but he gave a big lecture. So he's booming. Yeah, a lot of people in that room. You're yelling, you're screaming. And today there's only four. Snowstorm. But he's still giving a lecture. And he's giving the lecture as if there's 100 people in the room. So one of the students said, "Uh, Rabbi, there's only four of us today. You don't have to yell. You could sit down. You could relax. We'll have a conversation. Why why are you like full-blown, like charge ahead? So he said back to him, and it's really our focus today. He says, you think that I'm only talking to you? I'm not only talking to you. I am talking to the hundreds and thousands of students that you'll have, to your children and to your grandchildren and your great-grandchildren, four people in this room. I could be speaking to tens of thousands of people with this lecture, not the actual lecture per se, not the actual words I'm saying, but what is my message, the importance of of Torah study in his case, the importance of understanding of thinking of caring that's what I'm giving over, so yeah, I'm gonna yell and scream as if the room was full full to the brim the uh the My has a very interesting way of looking at this whole concept of in general, like when i when I do a good deed, right when I know that the Torah says, or God wants me to do ABC, whatever the example is, right? Why am I doing it? Am I living that command? There's a love, there's an enjoyment, there's a feeling. Is that what I'm doing? Or it's almost by rote. I wake up in the morning. I, I, I For me, wake up in the morning, do a little Torah study, um, go to prayers, Go through the prayers and the Shema and the Shemon HaEsrei and and maybe there's the Torah reading that day and then come home and I'll have breakfast and I make some blessings and the and the after meal blessings and then I go to school and then I'll teach the children and then I'll come home and on Thursdays I'll do my show over the afternoon and study with my children and make sure they do their homework and and uh, do a little more Torah study. So it's like I got a mapped out day with a long checklist of all the important things I need to do. We call that rote. I did it yesterday. I did it two days ago. I'm going to do it today also. Like, why not? This, This is how I do things. In the holy books, they call that the lavush, like the garment. So, people do both. And there's room for both. But at the end of the day, if I want to transmit to future generations the importance, the feeling, the why, then I have to live my mitzvahs. I am sitting there with my lul of an etrog, and I am living that, wow, look how I get to serve God. I'm so happy I get to do this. I enjoy this so much. I know it's. I'm learning, I'm, I'm doing homework with my children, I'm studying with my children, doing extra with my children— is it a checklist? And by the way, I spend hours at night with my children. I get a lot, a lot, a lot of my time. I don't have that much evening time for my own personal study. It, because I'm giving my kids a lot of time. So what's my attitude? Is it, I'm so happy we can sit and do this, and this is so beautiful, and I enjoy it. Or, okay, let's go, got to do the homework. Okay, next page, okay. You know, one of my kids was studying for a test. So the teacher gave them like a two-week chart of what to do every day to prepare for this test. So we do day one, we do day two. But when we finish day two, my son says, "Okay, can we go back and review day one?" Oh yeah, sure. Let's let's. Do it. let's do it. Hello. Like I, I'm not really interested in doing day one, but he's interested, and therefore I will be interested. Because if I show I'm interested, he'll be interested, and that will make it come to life for that child. So it is. As Sam Valhurst says, the best schools everybody should hear this. The best schools cannot achieve what the average parent can. Because yeah, the best schools, the highest level of education and 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 they're teaching you things with professors and and stuff that that other children don't get to touch. That's true, on the actual eh, um, what they're actually studying, the actual text. You're right. The best schools you can't compete. But if you want to make it someone's life, if you want if you want to put into you want to inculcate that child with a love for whatever it is you want him to have a love for, schools can't compete with parents. Can't compete. Um, interesting enough, continuing uh, along this line of what parents can accomplish and, and what parents' responsibilities are when they teach a child. Um, there's a story with the great Samson, Shimhen Agibur, right that great mighty Samson, right? He knocks down the pillars and, and for those of you who are not familiar with the story, go read it. It's in Judges, I don't know, chapters, I don't know, 12, 13, somewhere in that range. So at the beginning of the story, before Samson is born, his parents have no children. So the angel comes to the mother, and the angel tells the mother, in a year from now you're going to have a child, and that child is going to be born as a Nazarite. A Nazarite's is not allowed to drink wine, not allowed to cut his hair, sometimes they're not allowed to be near dead bodies, can't touch dead bodies, stuff like that. And so he says, (laughs) so he tells the mother, and you also can't drink wine. and you Well, he didn't say you have to grow your hair long, but uh, you also can't drink wine. So she goes home and tells her husband, and the husband says, I'm I'm not sure if I have this clear. Let's get that, whoever that guy was, he didn't know it was an angel. Let's get that guy back. When he comes back, I want to talk to him. So the angel comes back, and she gets her husband, and and he says, the angel says to the husband, whatever I told my wife is what you're supposed to do. So the rabbis explain that the rules of the Nazar, that you can't drink wine, or you can't become impure, you, the parents, also have to do. Meaning that if you want your kid to grow up with these rules and regulations, then you need the same rules and regulations. If you don't want your kids eating junk food, don't eat junk food. If it's important to you that your children should study, then you study. If you are sitting at home on the couch watching a movie and you tell your child you should go do your homework now, why? You're not doing homework now. Now, does the child say it? Maybe not. But you're just showing your child what's important. If you go ahead and get off the couch and say... You know, I know you have homework now. Would you like me to help you? I'm not doing anything now, anyways. It'd be my pleasure to help you study for that test. You need help in uh, any projects you're doing now, because I don't need to watch this movie. This movie's not important to me. So you're not just you're not just talking the talk, as they say. You're walking the walk. I want you to study. I'm going to study. I want you to pray. I'm going to pray. I want you to wake up early and exercise. I wake up early and exercise. Now, again, that might not be a good example. Maybe your child's not ready to get up early and exercise, but your child sees that exercise is important to you. You may put in that child's mind, this is an important thing. In other words, you can't just preach to your child and then not follow through on your own. That's ridiculous, right? So Samson's parents, if you want to know how to raise your child, whatever you want your child to do, you got to be doing the exact same stuff. It's very simple. Um, Another famous rabbi we've talked about many times, Misha Feinstein, so he writes a lot about what happened in America in the early 1900s. In the early 1900s, many Jewish people who came over from Europe were unable to keep Shabbos because it was a six day work week. There was no such thing as not working on the Sabbath. If you didn't if you tried to go to a factory or or work for somebody and you didn't show up on Saturday, you were fired. So there were some people that could hold out and they went from job to job to job and during the depression it was massively hard. Well it was hard. Or you could try it or if you started your own business then you, you had the ability at least to not work on Chavez. But the idea of not working on the Sabbath in the early 1900s and again into the Depression was almost an impossibility. And parents told their children, you know, it's so hard to be religious. It's so hard. But we're doing it. Look look how good your parents are. It's so difficult to be religious and we are are willing to do it anyways. That, when Weinstein tried to tell all these parents, is exactly the wrong message. If you tell your children it's very hard to do something, oh, this kind of math, so hard. Now, I have my own problem on that because it's like a new math and I can't do it. I tell my kids I would love to help you, but I, I, I just don't get it. All right? But if you tell someone this is very hard, but I did it, so if I did it, you can do it, The message goes over wrong, because the kids sit there and say, oh, my father, my mother, they are so unbelievable. They could do anything. I'm not so special. I can't do anything. So therefore, my parents could do it. It was good for my parents. It's not good for me. Kids aren't doing it. So all those parents who told their children, oh, it's so hard to be religious here in America. It's so hard to keep Shabbos, but we're going to do it? The kids would ter- would grow up and say, my parents could do it. For me, it's too hard. Because my parents already told me it was hard. It's as if my parents gave me an out. So um, so therefore, um, Maisha said, that is the wrong way to communicate with children. You want to know the right way to communicate with children? You tell children how beautiful it is to keep the Torah, how beautiful it is to keep the Sabbath. If that's the message that you continuously give over to your children, how easy it is, how beautiful it is, then they're going to say, yeah, my parents said it was easy. Me too. How hard could it be already? But we can't say it's hard. We can't say it's difficult because you're just giving them an out. You're not giving them the right the right picture that we want to implant in them. Okay. So continuing this week's story portion. So... By the, by the first warning in this week's Torah portion, it's a warning for the plague of locusts. So Moses warns Pharaoh, Moses leaves the palace. The advisors to Pharaoh say, Pharaoh, have you looked out the window recently? Do you realize what's going on around here? Call Moses back, tell him he can go. So the Pharaoh calls Moses back, and uh, Pharaoh says, who's going? So Moses says, Everybody. Men, women, children. Pharaoh says, what? Children? Who ever heard of children going out to bring sacrifices? Moses, I see you're just looking for an excuse to escape. I am not letting you go because I never heard of children being part of a celebration. And that is where Moses was trying to teach Pharaoh that we, the Jewish people, do not celebrate like you, Pharaoh. By us, our children are a focus of the holiday, because if our children are involved in the holiday, if our children are excited about the holiday, well, guess what? When they get bigger, they will be excited to give that over to their own children. My daughter said to my wife recently that this year Passover she's probably not coming, which you know it puts a damper. Oh, you know, she has a couple of kids, and we like when the grandchildren come for the holidays. Very beautiful. But but really, really, why should we be upset? It's the most beautiful thing in the world. We have put into our children the beauty of the holiday. We put in our children the beauty of giving it over to your own children. So they want to do it. Well, if that's the whole goal, so I win. So yes, of course, I like to see my grandchildren. But overall, this was the focus. This is what we've always been looking for. Okay, with my little time left. Let me give you one last story. There's a story. There's an old lady, a survivor from the Holocaust, and she had a problem. Any bag she saw lying around, she touched the bag. Sometimes she opened the bag. Sometimes she looked in the bag. Didn't take anything, but it was a it was a problem that she had with um, when she saw bags. So one time she's by a wedding, and one time she's, uh, she's by a wedding. She may have even gone into the private room, the family room, as I've just made some weddings. So the groom's side, the hall, gives a a room. Everybody put their bags down in. The bride's room, everybody has a place they put their bags in. And this older lady found herself in the room of the bride, and she's touching bags. She's touching this bag, looking in that bag, and the mother of the bride comes in and starts yelling at her, what are you doing? That's the that bag belongs to the bride's private. You don't belong in here. Why are you touching the bags? And the woman got all upset and she started crying. So she goes home all embarrassed, and her son, her son's name was Shimshin. So her she tells her son what happened. So this Shimshin is trying to teach his mother not to touch everybody's bags. So he says to her, why do you touch bags? Why are you touching all these bags? Listen to this amazing story. She says when she was in Poland and the Nazis came and rounded everybody up, so the Nazis said everybody gets two bags. So she must have had a very small infant, and I guess it was easier to put the infant in the bag, because that way the child would be safe from the Nazis. See a baby, they'll throw the kid out. So in one bag she put some blankets, she put her child, and in the other bag she put like some of her gold and some of her silver. And she's quickly running, running to get to the train where the Nazis are are loading onto the train. And then the Nazis say, oh, we uh, made a mistake. It was all part of the psychology. One bag. One bag per person. So she says, oh, okay, only one bag. She puts one bag down and she runs. She ran a couple hundred feet and she realizes that she left the bag with her baby behind And the bag in her hand was all the gold and silver. She tries to run back to say, anybody who goes back gets killed. So she tells her son, she says, you understand, I made a mistake. I I, I put the wrong bag down. I was so confused. Now, every time I see a bag, I wonder, maybe my baby's in that bag. It's all psychological. Maybe my baby's in that bag. So... We have to guard our children. We have to be careful with our children. We have to educate our children. We have to make our children happy with who and what they are. But the music is playing, and I hope you enjoyed it short and sweet. Thank, of course, to all our wonderful sponsor listeners. You know, I can't do it without you. Thank you to the production team. We had David and Andy in the back. I hope a have left some food for thought. Until next time, I am Rabbi Sweet Jacobson. You've been listening to Let's Talk Torah and Enormous Streamcast. Until next time, don't forget to think about it.